to yourself, we pray. Help us to learn to love Jesus, be shaped to be more like him. And uh, please help us, Lord, so that in the weaknesses that we, fail, we feel, we depend on you. And we ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christopher Columbus left Spain in 1492 in August. By October, he was in the Americas. And uh, people who look at that voyage view it as a turning point in human history. It marked the beginning of what's called globalization with uh, demographic, commercial, political, economic, and social changes. No question those were momentous days. But their significance pales in comparison to what we're considering this morning. We're looking at a new unfolding of God's grace along with new insights about his agenda. With all the unexpected twists and turns that come our way, we do need to keep on trusting the Lord. And um, our experience with human frailty only underscores that. We need to trust the Lord. And so the question that's being How does God guide his people when they can't, won't, don't get along with each other? Well, it's Acts 15. We read the section, verses 36 to 41. Is this too loud? Seems a little. No? Perfect, huh? Okay. So please turn to your Bible, Acts chapter 15. We're going to look at that last section of the chapter. Now, Luke's theme grabs us right off the bat when we read it. Unresolved differences lead to separation. Unresolved differences lead to separation. And his movement of thought goes along these lines. He begins by focusing our attention on the core of Christian living. And then he moves from that to followers of Christ that don't get along. And then he brings us to a surprising, uh, unexpected way of increased service. So, first of all, the core, then the problem, and then unexpected ways of new service. So what is at the center of the Christian life? Well, isn't it growing faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Isn't that the essence of it? I mean, we find Jesus saying to his disciples in the Great Commission, uh, as you're going, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the ends of the age. And that theme picks up at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. Um, 
You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's right before us in these verses that we just considered. Um, look at verses 36 and 41. They function as kind of bookends, if you will. Paul begins by saying, let's go back to every city where we've been. And Luke concludes this little section by saying, so uh, Paul and Silas went to all the cities in Cilicia and Syria, strengthening the churches, caring for followers of Jesus. That's the overarching interest here. Now, Paul and Barnabas have come back from a great retreat up in Jerusalem. The council has met, and they have good news. Gentile believers do not have to be circumcised or adopt a Jewish lifestyle in order to be saved. They don't. I mean, who could ask for anything more? And that's a simple truth that runs through the Bible. It's for all the world to know. And Paul and Barnabas are now to pass that on. If you look at chapter 15, verse 23, you'll see that that's part of their commission. The council at Jerusalem says, okay, pass this on now as you go back and visit the churches where you've already been. Now, growing faithful followers of Christ, uh, we're told here, has three parts. Um, Luke, uh, Paul doesn't develop them very much, but he, he does mention them. He says, let's return. Uh, that is, we've been around and we've seen new believers. We want to go back to them, the idea being uh, older, more mature believers are responsible for less mature believers. Uh, it's kind of like a farmer, you know, a, a farmer. You know, he can have his corn and his cows out in the field. Uh, tomorrow morning, they are not going to report to him. He's going to have to go to them to see how they're doing, both the corn and the cows. And so that's the first thing that Paul says here. Let's go. Let's take the initiative. What comes second? Let's visit the brothers. It's an interesting word. Jesus uses it in Matthew 25 where he says, I was sick and you visited me. What happens when the doctor shows up? He's checking you out to see what your need is. He's going to administer some care to you. Well, that's the kind of thing that now Paul says to Barnabas, let's go do this. Let's go visit. And interestingly enough, that same word is at the root of what it means to be an elder. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, if anybody wants to be an elder, he wants a good thing. And guess what word he uses there? If anybody wants to be a visitor, an overseer, he desires a good thing. Yeah, elders. What's one of the main things they do? They pay attention to the congregation. They visit them to see how it's going. And then last, you'll see there in verse 36, let's see how they are. Check in with them. Check on them. To grow faithful followers of Jesus Christ, the disciple maker has to be interested in people, taking initiative to seek to connect with them, but not just taking initiative, actually showing up and finding out how things are going 
with a view to being an encouragement. Well, as Paul touches on this idea of their extended missionary work, he gets at the reason that there's this kind of care for people. You see it? He says again in verse 36, he says, let's go visit the brothers. Uh, through Jesus Christ, we are family, spiritual family. And then later on, he talks about how they went around and strengthened the churches, the called out ones. We are bound together through the sacrifice of Christ. And because Jesus has made us new, now we look to do what we can to care for those that are around us. Well, so with letter in hand now, Paul and Barnabas are going to follow up on new believers, and this will be a significant teaching opportunity for them. Let's just pause at a mo for a moment here and ask the question, who are the people who've had a spiritual interest in your life? Who's helped you grow in the Lord? Parents? Uh, in my case, my mom and dad were faithful in teaching me the Bible and checking on me. Um, but other relatives as well. How about you? Sunday school teacher? Youth worker? Campus worker? Small group leader? An elder? pastor it's a privilege to help people grow to be more like Jesus and so with the uh, looking at it from one angle sort of gets us thinking about it from another angle uh, you've been touched by the ministry of others in whose lives are you now seeking to be a blessing anybody that's something you could pray about. Lord, would you bring somebody into my life where I can pass on some of what you've built into me? So, a disciple maker is other-centered. He sets aside a personal agenda so that he can serve. He seeks to do good to those who are spiritually in need, and he plans ways to help others grow so that Christ is formed in another. Growing Faithful followers of Jesus Christ, then, is at the core of the Christian life. But how can Christian disciples grow when there's relational tension among leaders? How can that happen? Well, look at verses 37 and 38 and just the beginning of 39. The fact of the matter is that Christian leaders can be at odds with one another. Do you see it? Paul suggests, let's go back on the road and return to our missionary work. And Barnabas has obvious relational skills. And Paul knows Jewish religion backwards and frontwards. Uh, it seems like this is going to be a great combination because they've already worked together. Barnabas is all in, and he wants to take John Mark with him. Verse 37, see it? Remember John Mark? He is a cousin to Barnabas. 
He was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary trip, and he will be the writer of the second gospel. But now look at verse 38. Paul's not having it. We read, he thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now suppose we had been flies on the wall and could have overheard this conversation. What might it have been like? Barnabas gets the word. He says, sure, Paul. Uh, I'm going to tell John Mark, and we'll be ready to go as soon as you tell us. And Paul says, no way. We are not bringing him along. we got to be able to count on team members. He can stay here in Antioch. What can someone like him do for God's work? And Barnabas, that is not the question to ask. you got to think about the bigger picture. What can involvement in God's work do for him, and what can God's involvement and what can his involvement in God's work do through him? That's what we have to pay attention to. We think to ourselves, whoa. We weren't expecting this from seasoned Christians, were we? So who's right? Is it Paul or Barnabas? Uh, maybe each of them has a point. But their differences are intense. So now look at verses 38 and 39. When Paul says John Mark had withdrawn from them, that English translation hardly captures the emotional um, energy in that word. It's the root from which we get our word apostasy. John had apostatized, Paul says. In other words, to apostatize means to fall away, to change sides, to desert, to abandon, to renounce. Uh, Paul has very strong language to describe John's behavior. And then we read in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement or we might paraphrase it quarrel contention wrangling heated emotion intense turmoil in other words this is not a casual difference of opinion ever been in an argument probably everybody could say yes to that well Solomon has some wise counsel for us. You know what he says? The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before a quarrel breaks out. You know what it's like when you start to... You can't get it back. So quit. Unfortunately, it's already too late for Paul and Barnabas. And so verse 39 unresolved differences lead to separation. There arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from one another. Now, how can this be? Luke places this statement right in the middle of this paragraph. 
What precedes it leads up to it. And what follows it flows from it. And he puts it here, not at the beginning, not at the end. He puts it here in the middle to emphasize this sobering fact. Unresolved differences can lead to separation. So Barnabas, we're told, takes John Mark, and they head off to Cyprus, and Paul selects Silas, and they go to Syria and Cilicia. Now, these, th this description has to be one of the saddest, most disappointing of narratives. And can you see the irony, the incongruity of what's going on here? These guys have all just attended a big meeting of church leaders up in Jerusalem. They've participated in a process that has brought unity out of deep religious, religious and ethnic division. It is a huge thing. By comparison, then, deciding who's part of a missionary team certainly seems to me to be small potatoes. Yet somehow, Barnabas and Paul lack either foresight or skill or will or whatever to resolve their differences when it comes to serving John Mark and serving their missionary team. It's true. Growing faithful followers of Jesus Christ is the core of the Christian life, and it's also the case that Christian leaders can be at odds with one another. So how is the Lord ever going to use this mess, and it is a mess, to accomplish his purposes? How can seemingly well-intentioned Christian leaders not want to or be unable to? or uh, How is it that they can't get along with each other? Just pause with me now and think about the negative impact of unresolved differences. Now, they're all around us. We don't have to look very far. Uh, turn on the news and look at the struggles in Ukraine, for example. Just this past week, though, at a more personal level, I had conversations with people about these kinds of differences. A teen about to be picked out, uh, kicked out of the house because of her bad behavior. A couple planning to be married who are now reconsidering that. A married couple talking about separation. A family's distress at leaving a church where they've been members for a long, long time. And so people with unresolved differences, what happens to them? They drift apart. Maybe they have limited, cryptic conversations with each other, uh, exchange terse, business-like texts, emails, phone calls. Maybe refuse to talk. Maybe intentionally avoid one another. And with all these bumps in the road come isolation and pain and loneliness. And at least on the inside, people feel like this. I can't wait to get out of here. Just show me the door. I am done with this. And all too often, people are inclined to give up, right? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about relational struggles. Jesus taught, if you and your brother have a problem, go to him with a view to reconciliation. 
And we just, we just read a few moments ago, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And both of those are spot-on advice when it comes to people that are struggling. However, did you notice as we read these verses? Luke does not touch those ideas with a 10-foot pole. Look at them. Don't take my word for it. Luke does not go there. And he might have. Look at verse 40. After the split, Paul and Barnabas depart, and then we read, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. What, what, what's the inference here? It might be that Barnabas was out of step. These other guys, Paul and Silas, they're commended. We don't have any reference to what happened with Barnabas. They're commended to the grace of the Lord. But Luke makes no comment, not a word about what they might have done differently. So how does the Lord guide his people when they can't, won't, don't get along? What does Luke do here? Well, he writes, let's not forget, he's writing for Theophilus, and subsequent readers like you and me. And he is projecting a world which is not conflict-free. He's not saying somehow, well, if you get it together, everything's going to be hunky-dory. He's not suggesting that. But he does invite readers like us to live in this world where there's conflict, and where we simultaneously reach out with God's love to unbelieving Gentiles of all stripes, shapes, and sizes. And he encourages us to live in hope as we witness for Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So on the one hand, Luke beckons us to live in this world that is still frayed at the edges. And on the other hand, he shows us the power of the gospel to address our differences. So what happens? Well, again, look, verse 39, end of verse 39. Uh, Barnabas takes Mark, and they sail away to Cyprus. And verse 41, Paul chooses Silas, and they go through Syria and Cilicia. And these details point us in what direction? To the grace of God that he extends to his needy people. How so? In this mess, the Holy Spirit sustains Barnabas and Paul in their love for Jesus. He also enables them to set aside and rise above the personal hurts and disappointments so that they can keep on pursuing his agenda. They don't throw in the towel. And he motivates them to keep at the work that he had originally given them. Remember back in chapter 13, first verses? Separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've given them to do. 
he enables them to keep after that word. In other words, let me say it this way. What Jesus does in the lives of these people who are so troubled by the turmoil is this. He enables them to keep the main thing the main thing. One more time. Growing faithful followers of Jesus Christ is at the core of the Christian life. Christian leaders can be at odds with one another. But, and here's the big but, separation can lead to increased effectiveness. That's what Luke is focusing on here. Now, there are other things we might say, but in this passage, that's what he's stressing. Separation can lead to increased effectiveness. So here's God's word to you today. Keep the main thing, the main thing. People all around you are lost and need the gospel. Therefore, pray for an opportunity to pass on the good news this week. There is new life in Christ, and it's the best. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Be a model of hope in our fractured and contentious world. The Lord is bringing about the advance of the gospel all around us, and it's good news for people of all stripes and shapes that you're going to run into this week. So be a model of hope. And keep the main thing the main thing. Be gracious. Be gracious. The grace that we have received is grace we are called to give. Isn't that right? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder to keep the main thing the main thing. I pray that you would motivate us to be people that love you and are not distracted from the smaller things of life that would keep us from telling others that Jesus is the lover of our souls, the Savior who is making us new. Help us in that regard this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.